You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host... Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host. And before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to give a little bit of a personal update. So as you guys know, I slowed down my rate of episodes because I've gotten into flight school. I moved 1,200 miles to Arizona, and I'm just having a lot of fun, guys. I'll be honest with you. I've got about three weeks of flying experience under my belt. I'm at about 20 hours in the air and I am loving it. I'm loving the career change. Guys, if you are not the happiest in what you're doing, or maybe you have a passion that you haven't pursued, go for it. Take my advice. Go for it. It's a lot of sacrifice. It can be a lot of stress, a lot of risk, but if the reward is worth it and it's something that makes you happy, I mean, go for it. I mean, I loved my last job, but I definitely love this. I more. I I love this more. You can have multiple loves, multiple passions, and I'm having a ton of fun. Guys, if you're not doing what you want to do with your life, go for it. Take a shot. As a great philosopher once said, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you wanted, would you capture it or would you let it slip? Now, I'm sure most of you will call me on what that's from, but Whatever, it'd be like that sometimes. So today we have joining us on the show, Doug Hurst. And Doug is the chairman of Elevation Gold, which is a gold mining company, or it's a mining company. Mostly they look for gold, but hey, they'll take what they can get, I would imagine. But I'm sure he'll tell us in just a minute here. So Elevation Gold's big claim to fame is that they have ownership of a big mine in northern Arizona. (laughs) Ain't that funny, Arizona and I just moved here. A big mine called the Moss Mine. Doug has been in the industry for around 20-ish years. I'm not going to speak for him. We're going to go into his background. But he has been in the industry for a long time and has done billions of dollars in mining exits throughout his career. He is a very experienced person. I'm very glad to be talking to him. And we're going to be talking about not just elevation gold, but the difference in gold miners. Because we've had a couple miners on the show, and they've always said that you have minor players, Uh minor, small league, and then you have major league. So you have minor league, major league. What are the differences there? And we're going to get a little bit more details on, you know, uh, gold mining, gold digging, all that kind of fun stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Let's go ahead and bring him out. Doug, welcome to the show. Oh, Alex, I'm so pleased to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. So I think it's very interesting to have a miner on the show. You're literally a gold digger, and I like using that term because it's funny, and a lot of times people think it's a bad thing. But you know what? Somebody has to actually be going out there and getting this gold. But before we, really, before we really get into it, would you like to go into a little bit of your background and what it is that Elevation Gold does? Sure, sure. Well, so I started my career as a geologist, and... Uh, I got a degree in geology in, you know, uh, by 1986, so it was quite a while ago. Just a little bit. um, And my introduction to the industry was I worked a summer with a guy, with a prospector, a guy named Don McKinnon. And Don McKinnon uh, staked the claims that a huge gold mine in northern Ontario was found. It's called Hemlo. And uh, Hemlo, uh, so at the time, 
they were drilling the deposit, they were uh, advancing it towards production, and he always said he thought there was going to be 20 million ounces there. Well, you know what? They're at 30 million ounces and they're still mining it. So that's, so operations started in the mid-80s, so it's been there for a long, long time. But the really interesting part about the, the summer that I spent with Don, or uh, sort of working for Don, was that uh, there was a huge staking rush that happened around Hemlock. So all these claims got parceled out and dealt out to all these junior mining companies in Toronto and Vancouver. And so, so even though I was working on the technical side, bashing rocks and looking for new gold deposits, uh, I also got exposed to the, the business side of it. You know, where does the money come from? Um, how do stocks react when discoveries are made? And so all of these kinds of things really started to roll together. And uh, so I worked for a, a, a several summers uh, as a student and then as a geologist for a couple of years after school. And then uh, my then girlfriend, Sophia, and I moved out to Vancouver. And, uh, and I ended up getting a job with a brokerage firm. It was a small regional brokerage firm called McDermott St. Lawrence. Very family-like business. Wonderful, incredible people. And I got to learn my trade. So I, uh, you know, so I ended up putting a suit on and a tie. And I started to understand how the, the technical aspect of the business related to the finance. So I worked for uh, seven years for McDermott and a, and a further two years for a group called Sprott Securities. Uh, you may recognize that name. Eric Sprott is fairly big in the precious metals industry. And so I got to work two years with uh, Sprott. I then worked for another seven years consulting, and I and I consulted to uh, several different groups, uh, sort of eyes and ears work, just just looking around for interesting deposits, interesting uh, discoveries that were made in the industry, and uh, and I did uh, quite a bit of work for Newmont, uh, which is a large gold company. They're the number one, aren't they? They are. They are. Uh, they're a big one. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, and I think Barrick and Newmont trade number one spot to bounce it back and forth. So so they were one of the big ones, definitely. And then I ended up consulting for a group called Major Drilling. And Major Drilling was a publicly listed diamond drilling company so that they mostly did drilling for mining companies. And I dug around and sussed up drill contracts for them. That was very interesting. They also had a program where they were helping mining companies uh, finance drill uh, campaigns. And they had a really cool way of doing it. And uh, so I got to participate in digging up all of these kinds of uh, ideas. And I also had a really good, broad view of the industry and how it relates to finance. So all of that really came to bear when uh, a friend and I started a royalty company called International Royalty Corporation. So I ended up working with a guy named Doug Silver, and uh, Doug's a very smart guy, and he's a very database guy, and I was uh, less smart and less database oriented, but still enough to be uh, uh, to be good. We conceived of and realized that the North American uh, mining markets had virtually no royalty companies, and so Franco and Euro and Royal Gold were previous royalty companies, and they had sort of disappeared and drifted into the shadows and weren't listed anymore. Royal was listed in the U.S. So we fired up a royalty company and we dashed around and built a portfolio of royalties. And we almost didn't negotiate with anybody. 
because there was no competition. It was really interesting. So we had first mover status. You know, we weren't smarter than anybody else. We were just lucky enough to think of the idea early enough that we were able to to move. So we listed that in 2005, and we sold the company for uh, $800 million to Royal Gold in 2010. So it was a great pass. And then I did uh, some more consulting. Uh, I dabbled in renewable energy, uh, looked at sort of small hydro. And then uh, and then I threw my hat in with a bunch of uh, guys that I'd known for many years. Uh, they had started a company called New Market Gold. And uh, so I jumped on as a director and we merged with a company called Crocodile Gold. And Crocodile had a mine in Australia called Fosterville. And Fosterville uh, right now is the highest grade mine on the planet. Uh, and it's extraordinary. It's in a company called Kirkland Lake. The fascinating thing is that we did a financing for New Market at $1.25 in July of, of 2015, when the price of gold went down five or 10 bucks a day for a month. I mean, it was painful, absolutely painful. And uh, But we got the financing done. We had promises for 15 of the 25 million that we needed to close the deal to buy Crocodile. And uh, the two principals of the company, Doug Forrester and Blaine Johnson, came back to the board and said, okay, we need another 10 million bucks to close this deal. Everybody's writing checks. So we wrote much bigger checks than we all wanted to write, which was perfectly fine. And uh, and within 18 months, we'd sold the company uh, for a billion dollars. It was extraordinary, <laughs> absolutely extraordinary. So that was a that was a lightning strike. Um, and again, it was uh, sort of like the first mover status, you know. And since then, uh, I was the chairman of a company called Northern Empire that got taken over by uh, Coor. Um, I'm now on several boards, but my key uh, my key job right now is as the chairman of Elevation Gold. And uh, some of your listeners may know it as Northern Vertex. Well, we've just changed the name uh, to Elevation Gold uh, just, just to make a break with the past and uh, sort of rebrand it. And, uh, and Elevation Gold owns the Moss Gold Mine in Northern Arizona. So there you go. Coles Notes Hearst. <laughs> <laughs> So the Moss Gold Mine, that sounds like I definitely want to get a little bit more into that. But first, I wanted to make a quick joke that I thought of. So one of the guys you worked with was a guy by the name of Doug Silver. Yep. I mean, was this guy like born to be a miner or what? Like, <laughs> has he once in his career gone to somebody and said, hey, Silver's my last name? Absolutely. Because Absolutely. I would well, do that had, every week. Yeah. You had a lot of humor around it, too. It was pretty funny. It was. It, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm a minor. So, Call me Mr. Silver. Mr. Silver. Yeah. Dr. Silver. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there was another comment that you had made that you were going around doing. I forget the exact terminology used, but not prospecting. But I think you said financing tour or something like that to get the financing. Would you go into that a little bit? Because what I'm imagining is Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, depending on where you're from. And all right, yeah, so here's this seemingly empty plot of land here, but we think there's 10 million ounces of gold there. So would you mind going into that process a little bit? Absolutely. So the fascinating thing is that uh, the mining industry really works on a hope and a prayer. The risk-reward ratio in the mining industry is a crazy one. You can lose all your money, but you can also make 100 times your money. 
Uh, so you can buy shares in a company that has moose pasture and with one drill hole, uh, the stock can be worth, you know, uh, an order of magnitude more than you paid for it. So it can be that quick. It can be overnight. And so there's a certain type of investor that will go for that. Now, as a mining analyst, that was very difficult for me to control. So as a manager of a mining company, I try to manage the risks that I can manage and I try to mitigate the risks that I cannot. So the price of gold is something that's beyond my ability to, uh, to deal with, right? Social uh, attitudes, uh, the economy and the way the economy affects the mining industry, those are things that I really can't affect. But I can mitigate those risks by doing various things. And one of them is to properly raise money raise money and tell people both the good and the bad. So to try to be as clear as we possibly can, but to illuminate the upside. And the upside sometimes is describing what the risk reward ratio is. So if I can put assets into a mining company that limits the downside, but protects the ability of the company to move up, then that just becomes a better investment story. And sometimes Sometimes you find that raising money is it can be a very, very difficult process. And the interesting thing about the royalty company, so this is a really good example of, uh, of those strange sayings that float around the industry. And one of them is that if you're going to raise a million dollars, you might as well raise a hundred million dollars, right? <laughs> yeah, and, it's a small income. Yeah, go big or go home, right? You know, there's those kinds of things. And you think about raising a million dollars and... You've got to go to friends and family and your barber and the guy that fixes your car and and uh, you know a few friends in the investment game and it takes a lot. You wear a lot of shoe leather raising a million dollars. So why not think of a bigger idea with a bigger upside and go to bigger investors? And all of a sudden, you know, so so we had the idea that we were going to raise five or ten million dollars for this royalty company, buy a few royalties and launch. On that basis, well, we discovered that there was a royalty for sale on a mine in uh, eastern Canada called Voise Bay, big nickel mine, and this uh, this royalty was going to cost us 150 to 200 million dollars. And the process of raising that money was as easy as it was raising one to five million dollars. And why was that? Well, when when you went to a brokerage firm or an investment dealer with a five million dollar idea, they would sort of yawn and they might get out of bed, but they may not. But you roll out of bed with $190 million financing and they're there. And they lined up out the door and and beat the hell out of each other to try to get our business. And so all of a sudden, uh, you know, it was more work and there was more paperwork, but man, we raised 190 million bucks. And brokerage firms were tripping all over themselves to try to get that business, to try to get the commission on $190 million. So it was a fascinating process. And so those are some of the war stories about raising money. And sometimes you don't know. I mean, uh, a lot of people will stand around. They like the idea, but nobody really wants to write the first check. And as soon as the first check gets written, everybody piles in. It's it's human nature. It's like, okay, somebody believes enough to actually write the check. Okay, I think I'll go, right? So there's a lot of psychology in it. It's very, very interesting and strange. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. But then again, that's part of the problem with the first check people. I mean, you think, I know I'm kind of going to the deep end here, but you end up with Theranos and Walgreens or Nikola and GM. Yeah. Like once you get that first person who signs the check, it sort of legitimizes the whole thing, which can be either used for good or for evil. I don't mean to imply there's anything. No, no, that's true. As you said, as soon as you said the first check gets signed, now all of a sudden everyone wants in. First thing I thought of was, Oh, well, you know, if you get a big name to sign on to something, oh, well, they must have done their due diligence. I'm going to go ahead and use this as a quick second to tell my audience that you should always do your own due diligence because otherwise you're going to get caught like everyone else did. Oh, indeed. Yep. Well, and you know what? I mean, uh, in the mining industry, uh, the mining industry has a history of, uh, you know, a guy with a horse and a pick and, you know, uh, uh, and a pick and shovel. And uh, it seems elementary, but um, Mark Twain said that, a gold mine is a, a hole with a liar sitting on top of it, right? <laughs> Which is very interesting. Um, and uh, um, and you know what? I mean, the uh, the risk statistics bear that out. Not the liar part, but the fact that the probability of finding a gold mine is very, very low. 2001, 3001, those kinds of things. And so that speaks to the risk-reward ratio. There is a lot of risk in this industry. The fascinating thing, Alex, is that you will find that there's a a limited number of management groups that seem to hit the ball over the fence time and time and time again. Every now and then there is a management group that will make a a lovely score. They'll find a deposit. They'll sell the company. All their investors make good money, but they don't repeat. But there's a limited number of management groups that repeat it. They do it over and over and over again. And what is it that separates the two? One of the key reasons is ego. You really can't have any ego in this. You have to understand that there are layers and layers and layers of management experience that are never in one person. So one person can't do it all. So you have to have the ego to say, you know what? I have no experience in that. I need to hire somebody. You uh, you hire the right people. You uh, bring them in and you give them lots of freeboard. And There are management groups that have done this many times over. And so what is it about those groups? And that's a big part of it. So I've been involved in three takeovers and several success stories since I jumped into the corporate side. And uh, and Elevation is shaping up to be that all over again. Well, absolutely. And I mean, you've done the, well, I guess what I would call the full tour Started what graduated, became a geologist, did the geology thing, going out with your pickaxe. Yeah. Uh, went into finance and underwriting and actually looking at the mining industry. Then you really jumped in again, rose to the top. And now you're what a director of several companies. And now you're the chairman of this one. Yeah. So, I mean, you've done, you've basically done it all. Well, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, I'm not extremely competent in one discipline. (laughs) (laughs) Jack of all trades, master of none. Well, there you go. Um, But I have a sense of when I'm in over my head. And I have no ego about bringing somebody in that I know uh, has that expertise. And so um, so I tend to lightly dance along, a lo- uh, you know, over top of a lot of disciplines. And, and then I just hire people uh, or, or our organization hires people that we all trust. Yeah. Well, there you go. And then a question I had for you is that you've mentioned several times about a mining company being a royalty company and going and earning money off of that. But just to be clear, 
what kind of company is Elevation Gold? Is it more royalty or is it more actual mining and operating? Trucks and big shovels, and we're mining bars of gold. Well, there we go. Wait, so there are bars in the ground? No, I'm messing no. with you. <laughs> <laughs> we're mining four bars of gold. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I was making a joke. You just go go out with a shovel and boom, here's this perfectly smelted bar of gold just right there. Well, it is interesting how you can you can see these Australian guys in Western Australia or in the state of Victoria, and they use metal detectors and they find lumps and chunks of gold. Uh, that's fascinating to me, but uh, we don't tend to do that. We we find uh, we find gold in very you know you you really don't see it. You know, you'll see it every now and then, but not very often. And uh, uh, but the end product is of course bars of. Well, there you go. And that goes back to the whole uh, a gold mine is a hole in the ground with a liar on top of it. Sometimes it might not be a liar. It might just be someone mistaken. I mean, because then we get into a question of, I forget the term, grade. Yes. Because you can go and find, you know, an ounce of gold by digging down five feet and you've found a total of an ounce of gold. And you go, oh, this is a gold mine. But then by the time you got the big trucks and big shovels coming out there, oh, well, for every ton of dirt there's you know an ounce of gold yeah like sure that could technically be a gold mine but if you got to move a ton of dirt for one ounce of gold that's uh not financially viable yep yep well um yeah definitely uh, i mean grade is king i mean if you can have the higher grade your deposit the better there's no doubt about that but there are forms of mining that can mine very low grades and make very good money so, uh, so New Market, which was one of the companies that I was associated with previously, had an incredibly high-grade gold mine uh, in Australia, this Fosterville mine, very, very high-grade. And yet Moss, uh, the next company that I really jumped in and joined, uh, the grades that we have at Moss are very low. But the difference is that Moss mine is an open-pit mine, so we can use large trucks, large shovels, economy of scale, right? And mm -hmm. the type of ore that it is, you can do what's called leaching. So you're essentially leaching a solution through the rock. It dissolves the gold. And then from the solution, you can extract the gold and pour bars. And you can make good money at it. But we would always love to have higher grades, of course. Of course, because <laughs> grade, grade really is king. But uh, if you can extract an ounce of gold and still make good money at it, then that's a viable uh, mining operation. Yeah. Well, alrighty then. Alrighty, Doug. So while I've got you here, and you know, not necessarily captive because you volunteered to come on the show, but Absolutely. while I got you here. <laughs> yep, yep. But while I got you here, I want to talk about specifically the mechanics of investing and how that works. So first off, you had made the comment earlier about junior miners. So would you mind going into the difference between junior miners versus the major miners? Yeah. Well, so junior miners are essentially concept companies. They have no revenue, but they have some expenses. And essentially what they're doing is they are uh, sort of like the research and development portion of the industry. And so junior miners are also really... Uh, junior penny stocks, those kinds of things. And so what they're doing is that they're raising money to generate a proof of concept. And the proof of concept is, is there gold or is there copper, lead, zinc on the properties that we have uh, the rights to? And those companies tend to be smaller. 
They don't have revenue. And so to do due diligence on them is to really know the people. The people is a very important aspect of a junior mining company. There is some technical, so you have to have a sense of whether these guys have done it before. And without technical knowledge, you can get a sense of whether uh, whether these guys you know, are capable of, of making a discovery. And then you sort of weigh the risks of, okay, if I lose... Uh, if I lose all my money, is that going to uh, is that going to impact my portfolio? Or if I make 15 times my money, will that impact my portfolio? And so that's a junior mining, no revenue. It's really management driven, and it's the research and development arm of the mining industry. Then, as you start to move up the food chain, you find that companies will have made a discovery have drilled off tons and grade of a certain metal, and those tend to be the development companies. And then you have small uh, small producers, very much like Elevation. Elevation is uh, will produce you know, 30 to 40,000 ounces a year. It's not a big operation, but it is one that makes positive cash flow. And then as you work your way up, you'll get into larger companies that either have larger production or they own several mines. Then you get into sort of the mid cap and then the large cap. So companies like Newmont and Barrick are sort of the uh, the name brand names in the gold mining industry. And they'll own anywhere from five to 20 mines and will mine, you know, a million and a half to five million ounces a year. Whereas Northern Empire or Elevation Gold is, uh, you know, will produce 30 or 40,000 ounces a year. So that's the, the scale of the industry. Okay, so with the junior miners, would it be fair to say that, I don't want to say for them it's gambling, but it's sort of a, I mean, it's the hole with the liar on top of it. It's they own X amount of properties or this property here, and you investing in it is essentially a gamble of does the property they have not only have the metal that they're looking for, but in the gradient required or in the grade required for them to make a profit. Yep. Well, you know what? Um, the real pros that that invest in the junior end of things, they don't put all their money into one basket, right? That was going to be my next question. Yep, <laughs> they, they they never do. They will buy a basket of companies, and you know, with the the whole premise that I'm going to buy ten companies, I'm going to do my research, I'm going to uh, put money into each of these ten companies, and I will assume that half of them will completely fail, right? And Two or three of them will do okay. They'll tread water. They might make some profits. And that one or two are going to shoot the moon. Absolutely. And the overall uh, returns that that basket of 10 stocks will generate is 20, 30, 40% uh, per annum. So they are going into it knowingly with their eyes wide open, knowing that half or even 60 or 70% of these companies well, they will lose money, the stock price will go down, and some of them will just completely fall off the edge. But as long as you know that on average, if you do your homework and pick your companies properly, that a couple of them are going to make four, five, six, ten times your money over the whole time period that you're investing in those 10 companies, you generate a decent return. The good old shotgun approach. The old shotgun approach. And that is true of almost any part of the industry. So for me, what I tend to do is that I tend to mitigate my risk in investing in this space 
by managing, by being part of the company and knowing exactly what's happening, helping management uh, or helping the people that are around me to mitigate the risk because I've got a lot of money in this thing. And uh, so I tend to put my money where my mouth is. When financing's happening, I'll buy a, a chunk of the financing. I will uh, buy stock out of the market. And, uh, you know, my investment risk is the same as my investors. And so I'm stomaching all of those risks along with the investors that are investing along beside me. Absolutely. And hopefully that's true of most management teams. I know in a lot of corporations, you make sure the top managers, you know, have a decent stake in the equity. So that way, what happens to the investors happens to them because they are an investor. Absolutely. And for those of you who don't know what I'm referring to, go back to my episode on the agency theory. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, gotta love self-references. Yep. But yep. Uh, So we've talked about the junior miners. Is it fair... Would it be a fair assumption or rather a fair comparison for the major miners that it's more of a REIT sort of because they have these mines, these mines are proven, they're extracting X amount of ounces per year. Would it be fair to call a major miner like Newmont or I already forgot the second one? Yeah, Barrick, uh, sure. Barrick. Well, you know what? Uh, yes and no. So your, your reference to a REIT is a really interesting one. So a REIT essentially... Uh, invests in companies as well as properties to aggregate the returns uh, on behalf of its investors. And uh, a royalty company is very similar to that. You know, so, so a REIT doesn't take on the, the direct risk of real estate. Uh, they, they take on the indirect risk, right? Right. And a mining royalty company does exactly that. Whereas a large company no, they, they have the, the full risk, but they, they distribute that risk by having many assets. So, so a company like Barrick has, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 mines. And so they spread the risk over those 15 or 20 investments. And they do that on behalf of the investor that buys one share of Barrick. Okay? But they shoulder the risk. They do have the liability. If a mine doesn't perform, then that is Barrick's liability for sure. The interesting thing is that uh, a REIT in the mining industry is what's called a royalty company. And a royalty company will buy net smelter royalties. And so a, a royalty company is just like that of a record company. Record company, uh, you know, the artist uh, writes the music, they record it, and they get every time there's a sale of that song, they will get a tiny portion of the revenue, one or two or three percent. So if over, if over a year they sell $100 million of records, then the artist will get, with a 1% royalty, gets a million dollars a year. And so the same is true of the mining industry. So let's say uh, my friend Don McKinnon staked the claims at Hemlo and he had a 1% a royalty. If the mine generated $150 million a year, he would get a million and a half dollars a year. And that's a revenue stream that a financial group can look at and say, okay, that's a revenue stream. We can value that. The life of the mine is 10 years. They can do a calculation to say that that royalty has value. And that value, the value of that cash flow stream uh, is very high because you don't have to manage it. All you're doing is buying a contract that's paying you something. So royalty companies have very large revenue, almost no expenses, and they don't have the direct liability of mining the uh, you know gold or silver or letters ink. 
So I would say that a royalty company is more like a REIT. Okay. So let me ask you this. If you're investing in the major miners, and that's specifically the subsection of your portfolio that you're investing in, because these companies are diversified across, you know, in the case of Barrick, 10, 12 different mines, yep. how many do you think it would take to be considered diversified? Is one good enough? Since technically, you know, you buy one share of Barrick, you've got 12 different mines. Or would you say maybe a handful? And again, I need to say this for the audience. Doug is not a financial advisor. He is most certainly not your financial advisor. We're just two guys talking. Uh, well, I think that the risk profile of companies varies dramatically. So if if the world blows up tomorrow and gold, you know, gold goes back to $1,500 an ounce or whatever that number is, is the company that you're buying, if they have one mine, is there really good core value in that mine? And is there risk that, uh, that they could go a lot lower? Yeah, there, there's always that possibility. So, so you look for other avenues where they, uh, the management has mitigated risk, either by being able to raise capital when many other groups can't raise capital, raising debt when many other groups can't, don't have the ability to raise debt. So really, it comes back to management. Uh, in something like Barrick, you will, uh, your returns on the upside are muted. You know, so if you have a, a good run on the price of gold, Barrick may jump, you know, may, may jump 50 or 60 or 70 percent, whereas a small junior miner with a higher cost structure might jump three or 400 percent. And so within your portfolio or within your investment strategy, yeah, you have to have some of the ones that will go three and 400 percent and you have to have, you know, a bigger base of ones that will have more muted returns. But their risk profile is much better. So that's the whole diversification uh, argument. Okay. So something I just thought of in the middle of you explaining that was just the different risk profiles between the junior miners and the major miners. It's almost sounding like a, and bear with me here, a sort of relationship where the junior miners or are the high risk sort of quote unquote stocks and the major miners are more of sort of bonds or fixed income. Yep. Not that they can't, you know, find new mines and do all that kind of good stuff. But it really sounds like if we were to compare junior miners and major miners to stocks and bonds, the juniors are the stocks. You know, they either pop or maybe they don't. Yep. And you've got the more conservative major miners where, you know, you're sort of cashing a check. You're pretty diversified as long as you're doing your research on the management team. It's sort of the safe bet. Yep. Yep. So it's really interesting. If, uh, if you don't have direct links to the industry or you're not managing the companies that you're investing in, you have an indirect link to the company. And so, um, so people will manage their risk by diversifying, right? But if you look at my portfolio, you know, 60% of my net worth is in four companies, right? And that's because I'm a director, I'm managing and so, so I mitigate my risk not by diversifying my investments, but by diversifying my risk by, by being right in the driver's seat or right in the room. And I manage my uh, investment risk by working with really good people. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a different form of diversification, but it's still diver diversification. You know, so my stockbrokers always say, oh, my goodness, you know, I mean, you've got, you know, 50 or 60 or 70 percent of your net worth in two or three companies, you know, ah, you know, it goes against diversification theory. So I really diversify my risk by 
being on the inside by managing the companies that I'm putting a big chunk of my net worth into. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll come a little bit to your defense for everyone else who might have cringed when you said 60% of your net worth in four companies. Absolutely. You guys got to keep in mind that there are, heck, the first thing that came to mind was the Warren Buffett quote. Right. Uh, what is it? Uh, something diversification is for people who don't know what they're doing Yep. or something along those lines. And then you've got direct control over your investment. It's not like you put 60% of your assets in Apple. Yep. And then who knows what Tim Cook is going to do tomorrow or what petition the Apple employees are going to do. You are actively running these companies. So you're not, there's no agency theory. There is no, there you're is. investing in this company. You have no control over what they're doing. They could make some announcement tomorrow and, you know, you lose 20% of your net worth. Yep. That's not what Doug is doing. Doug has, you know, a finger on the pulse. Uh, he's in the driver's seat, hand on the shift and just out here drifting like it's Fast and the Furious. So for someone in his situation, if you own your own business, own your own real estate, if you have control, you can give up that diversification and still be fine. Well, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, 80 or 90 percent of their net worth is in uh, one stock, right? Absolutely. But then again, you can make the argument that they lose 30 percent of their net worth as soon as they sold it. Got to love taxes. They would. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very Lordy. interesting. OK, Doug. So. I think something we haven't really gotten much into that I definitely want to hear more about is a little bit more about elevation mining. So we had a little bit at the beginning, but would you mind going a little bit deeper into exactly what you guys do? Yeah. So Elevation Gold is a company that owns 100% of the Moss Mine. The Moss Mine is located in northern Arizona. Now, traditionally in the western U.S., Nevada tends to be the big, the big gold state. But the interesting thing is that all the great geology and great rocks that host gold don't know where the state lines are. So all of that great geology is, is in northern Arizona. And so we were lucky enough to merge with uh, Northern Vertex and uh, create Elevation Gold. And we are now doing more and more exploration to find more. So there's good value. There's good base value. So we were talking about the risk-reward ratio. So there's great base value in the Moss Mine. The Moss Mine is cash flow positive. It's generating enough to uh, continue its own development and do some drilling. But, but we think that there's a much, much bigger upside in drilling the veins that are sort of a long strike or a long trend from the open pits that we have. So within the property boundaries that we have, there's 10 or 11 or 12 kilometers of veins. And Alex, they are sticking out of the ground. You can see them. And there's grade for a big chunks of that. And there's been almost no drilling. Now, there was some historic drilling in the past where they've identified a few places. But we think that there's, you know, so the current mine right now is at a, a kilometer and a half. And there's about a half a million 550,000 ounces of total resources within that kilometer and a half. And outside of the mine, there's another 10 or 12 kilometers of vein that just hasn't been really properly tested. So we think that there, there is a dramatic possibility that there's a lot more gold on this property. And that will be the driver of the value of the company. So this is why we became involved in Northern Vertex and now Elevation Gold. And we think that the exploration potential at Moss, at the Moss mine is extraordinary. Okay. And are you guys private or are y'all publicly traded? So we're a publicly traded company. 
Uh, we trade on the TSX small board, and the, the symbol is ELVT, Elevation Gold. Okay, doke. And then are y'all on, you said TSX, I believe that's Toronto Exchange? That's the Toronto Exchange. We also have a listing on uh, the OTC bulletin board. Uh, it's the QX Exchange. Yeah, and we are listed there. And the uh, the the symbol there is... Hey guys, it's Alex coming at you from after the recording and after the editing. So I was double checking all of the links that Doug gave and I noticed he transposed two of the letters in the ticker symbol for Elevation Gold for the OTC market. So I went ahead and I edited that out and replaced it with this. So the ticker for Elevation Gold on the US OTC market, which is over the counter, is EVG. DF, and I will link that in the description below. Just wanted to make sure that was out there and you guys had access to it. So back to the show. And that's that's on the OTC. Alrighty, Doug. So with that, I think we can go ahead and start moving towards the conclusion of the show. I will go ahead and have those tickers in the show notes below. But would you mind for my audience at home, if they want to learn more about you and Elevation Mining, where could they go to find out more about you? Yeah. Yeah, the best place to go is elevationgold, that's one word, dot com. And, uh, and, and there's, there's all sorts of uh, information on that website. All righty. Well, I will have that in the description below. And Doug, the last question I typically ask is something I don't prepare my guests for. It's something I just like to throw at them. Good. So if you had one maybe mic drop statement that you'd like to leave us with. And it could be anything of your choice. Could be something about elevation. It could be something about you. It could be a personal piece of advice that you've picked up after, I'm not even going to say how many years in the business, but dealer's choice. If you had one mic drop statement that you would like to leave us with today, what would that be? Well, it's all about risk management. And the statement is, hope is not a strategy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) Yeah. All righty, Doug. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Oh, you're most welcome. It was a real pleasure. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Alex. Well, it was no problem at all. And for those of you at home, I will have all those links in the description below. Be sure to go check it out. Do your own due diligence on the mining companies that you decide you want to purchase. And with that, guys, we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.